The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This morning uh, we are coming and we are beginning a series, as we said, on hope. You know, I was very hopeful yesterday that I wasn't going to fall off my roof when I was putting up Christmas lights. And my dog ran down the road, and I was hopeful. I was hoping that she would come back. Some moments, I was hoping she wouldn't. And uh, and I, I hope that I'm going to win the lottery. And I I hope that Lisa and Matthew get home safely today. And I hope the Panthers win this afternoon. And uh, you see, we we hope. We we use the word hope all the time. It's a very common word that we use. And we use it almost exclusively as a verb, that it's an action, that we, we hope that something will uh, take place. I was reading a statistic yesterday, it was a big day in college football, and uh, I was reading a statistic that they estimate that close to $100 billion will be wagered this season on college football, an equal or greater amount will be wagered on professional football, that's just football. That's about $200 billion of what the world would call hopeful thinking. That I'm going to do this. I'm hopeful that my team wins and beats the spread. I'm hopeful that I uh, picked uh, the right side of the over and under. I'm hopeful for these things. There's a lot of wishing and a lot of uncertainty with that. And what we're going to begin looking at through this season, these five weeks that we have together, these next five Sundays, we're going to be looking at what is biblical hope. What does it look like to have Christian hope, and today really differentiating Christian hope, biblical hope, from what the world offers? Then next week, looking at how Christ is our true hope, then developing a little bit more uh, of the, the eternal nature of that hope, that it presses into something beyond this life, Uh, looking then at some of the fruits Uh, of this hope that we have, that as a hopeful people, a people with established hope, uh, it makes us courageous, it makes us have peace, it it develops these other things in us. It is a transformational dynamic uh, that we have. And so uh, today we are going to be going to uh, Romans chapter 5, looking at the first five verses there, and coming and really asking the question, what is Christian hope? And this will give a bit of a primer uh, on that notion, on this truth. And then we will come and we will uh, take part in the Lord's Supper as we do on the first Sabbath of every month of coming and recognizing that Christ is our hope. It is a full assurance of our faith, of our hope, and that we dine at this meal and are encouraged by it. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to read from the Apostle Paul writing Uh, to the church in Rome, but let's first pause and ask God to bless the hearing and reading of his word and to teach us from it. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would send your spirit and you would speak through your words, your word preserved for us over all of these centuries, your word given to us as our ultimate authority, your word that comes and strengthens our soul, leads us to life in Christ, leads us back home to you. And so we ask now that you would speak powerfully, that you would humble us, and that we would learn from you. To Christ be the glory. 
Amen. Romans 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame or disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is God's very word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. And hope does not disappoint. The NAS, the New American Standard, uses that translation. Hope does not put us to shame. There is no shame involved in our hope. That hope, as it were, from a biblical argument, is at some level cyclical. We have this hope in the glory of of the Lord because of the established work that has happened in Christ, uh, which then leads us, and we rejoice in that, but we also rejoice in seasons of suffering and difficulty, because we know that sufferings produce endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope doesn't disappoint. And so there's a cyclical nature, as it were, uh, within this idea of Christian hope. And what we're going to do today is unpack that a little bit, hopefully uh, help you Uh, get uh, through and to a place of establishing it uh, in your life and seeing a couple of things. The first thing about the difference between Christian or biblical hope and a hope that the world offers to us is it different at its very essence. Literally, by definition, it is a different uh, way of viewing things. Uh, That there is a different object uh, within our hope. And then the final thing that we're going to look at is then how do we nurture this hope that we have? So first, the, situ- the sense that a Christian hope is distinguished from cultural hope at the very essence level, at, at what it means. You see, hope in everyday vocabulary is separated from certainty, that we hope to win the lottery, we hope to do something kind of as I was joking uh, as we come along, we hope something good happens, uh, even when all signs point uh, to the contrary. But biblical hope is not wishful thinking. We set our hope, set our hope fully on the grace uh, that will be brought about at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is placing our confidence and trust uh, in this. That Christian hope, that word elpis, E-L-P-I-S in the Greek, it's not uncertain. Like ordinary, everyday hopes uh, about wealth or health, uh, it is a joyful, confident expectation which rests within the promises of God. Uh, The object of our hope, which we're going to talk about in just a moment, uh, is different. But at the very heart of it, it's assurance, not wishful thinking. So if you're wondering uh, about this concept of hope, uh, the thrill uh, of hope, A weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Uh, This picture, this sense uh, of there is something incredibly thrilling, there is something moving within the affections of the soul when we recognize that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, that it is an established assurance that I have, and it doesn't move, it can't be mitigated, it can't be brought down or mingled with anything else, but that my hope doesn't move, it is a certainty. And so I want to give you this week as way of assignment, consider how you use the word hope. 
how you use it in your everyday language, how you think about it. I've even found myself, even in this, this morning, saying, well, I hope that this happens for you. Well, that would probably be better said is, that's my desire, is for you to learn this. Uh, But hope, from a biblical perspective again, is very assured. It is set on us. I was looking at the words of our uh, litany of praise, and I thought again, slight nuance, but different. That we now watch for the day, hoping that the salvation promised to us will be ours uh, when Christ our Lord will come again. Now that could be translated wishing. I'm just hopeful that this is going to be ours one day, when the real sense of it is uh, that we look knowing that the salvation promised to us is ours, that there is a sure assurance, there is an establishment of it uh, in our lives. There is an incredible degree of certainty in this. Now you may go, Bill, okay, I get it. Why is this so important? What's so important about this is that where you start matters. How you define this word matters Because if we're off, even just a little bit, if we've sprinkled in uh, just a little wishful thinking into our definition of hope, uh, just a little uncertainty within it, then as we move out down the line of time and, and events happen, then we find that we are way off down the road. That that little change here becomes a massive shift somewhere down the way. And so it's important, as we've said many times before, to have proper orthodoxy, what we believe, because it leads to proper orthopraxy, how we live uh, our life, what we believe. And so therefore, even a simple definition of hope matters for us. And so it's not a wish, but it is an assurance. It is an assurance of what God has done in his promises, which leads us to this second thought. That hope is different at its very essence uh, level, at the essence of the word. It's different from what our culture uh, gives us. That our culture uh, basically says, hey, I'm hopeful that my actions will produce this. I'm hopeful that your actions will produce this. I'm hopeful, and at the very core of it, uh, we still are centered in the middle. Christian hope shifts the focus away from self and to God. Christian hope has a different object all together. That when we look at this passage in Romans, it says that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That hope in Romans is not a verb. It is the object, as it were, of the preposition. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That the biblical and Christian hope does not mean that we're living in the clouds, dreaming of a better life. It's not merely a projection of what we would like to be or do, but hope has a great deal to do with its object. Christian faith has as its object the glory of God. Looking, as it were, taking from some of what we talked about last week in the sermon, of going that the chief end of man is to glorify God, that man was designed, that we men and women were created to bring glory to God. And God is saying here, that is what we hope in, that we are established, that that is going to happen uh, in and through our lives, so that our vision of future glory has a powerful uh, effect on our daily lives here. You see, hope, this hope in the glory uh, of God, is our ground zero. It is the basis of 
how we live. We don't look around and worry, as it were, on other things, because when we worry, we're going to unpack this a little bit in a moment, but how many of you would say that in the last week you've worried about something? (laughs) There you go. That's an incredible portal into your soul. It really is to take a moment, and we're going to kind of diagnose this in a second, but diagnose that and say, why? What am I worried about? What am, where am I losing hope? Where am I concerned in these things? And by and large, what you will find oftentimes in there is that your object is wrong. What you're focusing on is wrong. Because when we are worried, when we have uh, the, the mindset of the world of wishful thinking, and that we are at the center of it, and our needs are at the center of it, and making sure that we're happy and that we're content, we write a narrative. We write a script that says this is the way that life is supposed to be, and as long as life doesn't vary too far from the script that I've determined for my happiness, then I'm going to be okay. And I will do everything, and I'm very hopeful that I have the gifts I'm very hopeful that I can manipulate however I need to manipulate the world around me in order to accomplish this. But if it varies off of it, if all the signs seem to be pointing to something different, oh no, I get anxious, I get worried, I become hopeless because I'm afraid that whatever it is isn't going to happen. And if that's the case, what happens in our lives is that we become incredibly preoccupied with ourselves. We become incredibly preoccupied with making sure that we take care of the things that need to be taken care of in order to get all of our hopes accomplished. We manipulate people in order to make sure our wishes come to fruition. We hate people and we have disdain for them when they cause in some way, shape or fashion one of our hopes and dreams not to come to fruition. But Christian hope is different. It is the ground zero, as it were, of love that is self-sacrificing. This is because of the absolute confidence that we have in God's care for us. We're not preoccupied with working to take care of ourselves. There's a different focal point. There's a different center. You see, without the hope of Christ in our hearts, John Piper was saying in a speech many years ago, That he said, if we don't have the hope of Christ in our hearts, we will be engaged in self-preservation and self-enhancement. That will be the trajectory of our life. Now consider for a moment, what are some of the overarching values within our culture today? You may say them differently, but at the core, there's self-preservation and there's self-enhancement. There was a, a young man, uh, I, I, you know, after the flood uh, down in Houston, and Deshaun Watson was the uh, quarterback of the Houston uh, Texans, former quarterback of the Clemson Tigers, and a wonderful young man by all accounts, a good young man. And he gave his first paycheck to the workers within the cafeteria that was there. And you thought, what an awesome thing for him to do. And a buddy of mine who's a huge Clemson fan uh, said, Bill, wasn't that just the best thing you've ever seen? I said, it would have been even better if there weren't cameras. How subtle that even a gesture done, a nice gesture done, has some little wrapping paper around it of self-enhancement. 
that we want to make sure that others notice what we've done, because if no one notices, then how are we going to get credit for it? And if we don't get credit for it, how are people going to know how awesome we are? And if people don't recognize how awesome we are, then how are we going to be promoted in business and promoted in life and to do all of those things? So at the heart of it is a self-preservation and a self-enhancement. But you see, the gospel allows us to be taken care of by God. And for the future, we recognize that if God and his glory are are our objects, then we recognize this great and awesome God is going to take care of us, and he can take care of us for the foreseeable future in the next five minutes, and he can take care of us and will take care of us for the unforeseeable future of the next 500 years. And if that's the case... If the object of our hope is something different from what the world has, if the object of our hope is God and His glory, then all of a sudden it frees us to be free to love others. This allows God's glory to shine through us even more because it's not about self-enhancement and not about self-preservation. That we're here to bring glory to the Lord and that we can discount ourselves. We understand the words of John the Baptist oh so much better. I must decrease so that he can increase. Because I recognize that he's the more important one than me. That God's glory is more important than me. And I can be at peace in this. And I can have a hope that everything is going to be okay. Piper writes this. When God satisfies us so deeply that we are free to love other people, then he becomes more manifest. And that's what we want above all else as Christians. You see, if our future is not secured and satisfied by God, then we are going to be excessively anxious and border on hopelessness. But the Bible says this, right here in the middle of it, Paul says, hope in this glory, hope in who God is, hope in what has been established for you in this. And if you are established in that, if that is the focal point and the object of your hope, then rejoice in your sufferings. You go, what? He doesn't say rejoice for your sufferings per se. He doesn't say, man, awesome, cancer today. Awesome, I lost a loved one today. So thankful for that wreck. So thankful for that disease. So thankful for bankruptcy. No, it's not that we celebrate per se the actual suffering. But he's saying within the context of the suffering, we rejoice in God knowing this. That if he's the object, I'm not focused on the circumstance. And most of the worry that you've experienced this week is because you've been focusing on the circumstance. That somehow the circumstance, if it changed, then you'll be at peace. But because it hasn't changed, then you're not at peace. Then you aren't hopeful that you lose hope in this. But you see, we rejoice within the context of our suffering. We experience joy even in the midst of suffering. Because our hope is not fixated on the present circumstance. It's not fixated on our self-preservation or on our self-enhancement. It's fixated on God and on His promises and on His glory. And we can look through the suffering, as it were, to something that is greater. We can recognize, as it were, that God's glory, which is going to be revealed in and through us in this situation in which we find ourselves, is awesome. And we are confident that God is taking care of us presently because of the confidence that we have in how he has fulfilled all of his promises. 
that I'm not wishful and just going, well, I hope he takes care of me today. I have a full assurance that he's going to take care of me today because all I do is look back at how he's already taking care of everything else. And I can extrapolate out then into the future. He has me. You see, if it's all about today and not about a sense of future glory, that God is going to come and He's going to make all things right and new, and that He has me here, and that means if He has me here, He's going to have me here, and He's also going to have me here, and He's going to have me over here, and He's going to have me in my latter years, and He's got my children right now, and He's going to have them when they grow up, and He's going to have them when they have their own families, and He's going to have their children and their children's children, because He's a covenant faithful keeping God, who says that He gives blessing to a thousand generations of those who love Him and keep His commandments, that I can take great confidence and hope that God's got it. And you know what that does to Bill McCutcheon? It diminishes him, which is good and very American. Because we're all about diminishing ourselves in the public arena in America. It goes counter. We say that in order to find hope, that in order to establish this hope, in order uh, to not come and fall into despair or hopelessness, we look back and we look forward. That we have to look into the future. We have to look into the unknown. Just as a guess, anybody know what's going to happen tomorrow? We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. None whatsoever. And for some of you, that makes you very nervous. I need to know what's going to happen tomorrow. I have a routine Everything's got to happen on the routine. I've got a schedule, and the schedule has to stay in place because if the schedule gets out, then all of a sudden, oh no. So I'm not even going to think about tomorrow because tomorrow gets a little overwhelming. So I'm just going to think about today, but today is sort of overwhelming in and of itself because today is yesterday's tomorrow, uh, and that it's not what I thought it was going to be yesterday. So now I'm totally proclaimed, and I'm totally out of whack. And so how do I do that? How do I deal with this hopelessness? How do I feel with this despair? This is what Robert Leahy Leah, I can't pronounce his name correctly, L-E-A-H-Y, who is the director of the American Institute for Cognitive Therapy in New York City and one of the professors at Cornell Medical School, wrote this. Stop and think about what is happening right now. If you want to deal with anxiety, if you want to deal with hopelessness, if you want to deal with your worry and despair, stop and think about what's happening right now. Is this moment hopeless? Sit quietly Notice your breathing, letting in and out, watching it come and go. Feel your feet against the floor. Hear the sounds around you. Peel an orange and smell the tang within. Listen to the music and feel the notes run through you. The present is here every moment, every day. When the future is gone and you live fully alive here and now, you put an end to hopelessness. Appreciating the moment will make you forget about the hopelessness. That is absolutely contrary to what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures say, yes, be fully present now. Experience the now. Be present here in the day. But it's the future which informs it. The future which says this. I know who has me. And I know where I am going. And I know that whatever happens to me, God has me. He is the object of this. And in the middle of that, I don't know about the day. I don't know exactly what's going to take place. But I know this. God's good. And His promises are sure. And I can be assured of that. So I might eat an orange. 
and I might listen to the music. And there are therapeutic approaches which help to calm the heart. But my true hope, the establishment of my heart, has to be beyond that. So how do we nurture this in our lives? What's the process that we need to nurture these things in our life? If it's different from what the world offers, if it's a hope that is established as its object, the very glory of God that is beyond ourselves, that is his past and his future promises brought together in the person and work of Jesus Christ as we celebrate in Advent, that it is all of those promises together, that God promised that Christ would come, Christ did come, he paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, he was dead, buried, raised on the third day, ascended into heaven with the promise of returning again one day. And so we have these promises, both fulfilled and still to be fulfilled, in which we live, and we have to ask the question, how do we nurture our hope? Well, one thought is this. Recognize that hope and faith are very close realities. That hope and faith have an awful lot of overlap. That hope has maybe a little bit more of a futuristic leaning of looking at what was there and coming But there is an overlap, and the Scriptures say that the Word of God is being taught, and when it's heard, it establishes our faith. And so hope, like faith, is strengthened continually by going back to God's Word, seeing His promises fulfilled, that God has been faithful to His promises, and He'll be faithful to them going forward, and we have confidence in these. We stake our hope on it. Look at how Paul wrote it here in Romans Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Basically, and then he says later that the Holy Spirit has been poured into your heart. So he's saying this. Here are some amazing truths. By grace, through faith, you have been saved. In Christ Jesus, and you are fully justified by him. It's his completed work on your behalf, done for you by God's amazing grace, which we now have access into because of the work of the Holy Spirit, and that we are at peace with God. There is shalom with God, which is both uh, the now stoppage of, of war with God or enmity with God and the beginning of a flourishing relationship that we have with God, and that we have access to him and that we stand firm, filled, as it were, with the Holy Spirit. So the essence of what we look to in the Bible to build our hope is what Christ has done for me. That's why it's so important for us to come back to God's Word all the time. To keep coming back and to present it because we have a culture and we have a world and we have an enemy who wants to tell us there is no hope. There is no assurance for tomorrow. What do you mean you can face tomorrow with joy? What do you mean you can face these things and not be worried about them and wringing your hands uh, all the time? But our hope is rooted in the grace of God and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we recognize this, we can then preach to ourselves and quit listening to ourselves so much. That's why you need to know these things. Have any of you ever had emotions that have gotten ahead of you? Worry that gets ahead of you, pacing the floor, wondering about what's going to happen. And then you just sit down and there's a despondency, there's a discouragement. At those moments, we need to go to the psalmist and ask the psalm, just like the psalmist did, Oh soul, why are you so downcast? Why have you lost hope? Put your hope in God. 
Isn't that what he said? Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. What's he saying to the heart? You've placed your hope in the wrong thing. Your anxiety, your hopelessness, your feelings of all of this, your downcastness is because you've placed your hope in something else. And so what you have to establish when you're worried, and a good portion of you raised your hands, so a good portion of you have homework. And here's the homework. Diagnose what was going on. Ask good questions of your heart. Now be kind to yourself. Don't be harsh to yourself. But be kind and go... What's going on? Why am I worried? And then what you're probably going to recognize is that you are not believing something about God that you should, or you are believing something about God that you shouldn't. You're not believing in His faithful love. You're not believing in His sovereign grace. You're not believing in these things. And you're believing that He's punitive. You're believing that you're not important to Him. You're believing something that's wrong about that. And so you need to diagnose what you're believing at a deep level. And then you've got to start rooting these things out. And I'll give you an example. I was speaking to somebody recently who's very excited about what God's doing in their life. That God has this plan and it really is unfolding right in front of this person. And as we were talking, uh, we realized and this person realized uh, that as is life, it's not a good or bad. It's just there's a price tag that comes with different things. And there's a price tag uh, that comes with this uh, thing that they want to do. And the price tag is pretty substantial. And so all of a sudden, you saw this person go from, I'm so thrilled, I'm so hopeful in what God is doing in my life and what I'm going to get to do for God. This is awesome. This is exciting. I can't wait to tell people about it. It's going to cost how much? Shoulders went down. Head went down. And I looked at him. I said, hey, can I help you walk through this? Like, Sure. And they said the number, you got this much money? I was like, nope. That's not going to solve your problem. Your problem isn't the money. Your problem is this. You've forgotten God. Because did God create you? Yes, he did. Yeah, how did he create you? He just created me. Why did he create you? Well, he created me for his own glory. Okay, so this awesome creative God who created all things by the simple mere verbal fiat of his voice just saying, be, and he established you and created you in his image for his glory and has now saved you through Jesus Christ, your, his son, your savior, and has given you a new life and you've been justified in him and you now stand innocent before him, filled with the very righteousness of Christ, adopted as his son or daughter uh, before him, and you now have access to him. And so this God who has given you all of these things and has promised that his son is going to come back one day and he's going to take you home and he's going to give you all of this. And he says that you are so much more important than the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and of the reeds and the flowers that are on the field. Do you think it's possible that maybe you need to tell your heart that? we got to preach. we got to preach to our hearts. So folks, learn the gospel. Know the promises of God so well that are the basis of your hope and assurance so that when doubt comes, when difficulty comes, when hopelessness begins to creep in, you have something to say to it. And you then preach to your heart and go, oh, heart, why so downcast? Emotions, shush. Well, it's just how I feel. Can't stand that statement. Is it possible that your feelings are attached to a fallen, broken, sinful heart? 
well, I never thought about that. Well, let's talk about that. Maybe your feelings for anger or your feeling for despondency are because you've forgotten the very beautiful and sure promises of God. And so you need to preach to your own heart. But guess what else? You need to live within the community of others who can help you. Because there's times when I'm sitting in the presence of the now and I'm alone. I need somebody else to come by and somebody else to say, hey, Bill, what's going on? Well, I'm thinking this way or I'm feeling this way. And I need them to preach the gospel to me the way I did with my son. To say, hey, let me remind you of some good and sure promises. I think God said something about it somewhere in the Bible. I haven't read it in a few years, but it's probably good stuff in there. No, I need someone and you need others in your life to go, let's go here. God loves you. God sent his son for you. God's going to care for you. And God is going to be glorified through whatever situation you're going through. And you can rest in that and be assured in that. And then shoulders go back again. And a smile returns and a countenance lifts up to go, I do not know what's going to happen. But I have a hope that whatever it is, God is going to gain the glory and it is going to be for my good. And I trust him. So therefore, I'm hopeful, not wishful, but hopeful. We have a full assurance of this hope, Hebrews 6. And today, this morning, we come to this table, which is a picture of this hope. If today you're questioning whether God loves you, if you're feeling a little hopeless, folks, look no further. Look no further than to a cup and to a plate that hold within it the beautiful picture of Christ's body given for you and His blood shed for you of how much God loves you and how much He cares for you. And we approach this table. And this morning we're going to approach it with penitent hearts or hearts that go, God, I'm not perfect and I continually need this grace of gospel that you've given me. So as you come to this table, I pray that you will find hope in it. As you taste and you see that the Lord is good, that you would come and be encouraged. So would you pray with me, friends, this prayer that's printed for you and on the screen behind me, that of our acknowledgement of our need of grace. Gracious Father, we confess that we have longed too much for the comforts and treasures of this world rather than for your enduring kingdom. We have loved the gifts more than the giver. In your mercy, help us to see that the things we strive for are shadows, but you are the substance. They are quicksand, but you are a mighty rock. They are shifting, but you are an anchor. We plead for your forgiveness through the riches of Jesus Christ. Accept his worthiness for our unworthiness, his sinlessness For our transgressions, his fullness for our emptiness, his glory for our shame, his righteousness for our dead works, his riches for our poverty, his death for our life. So, Father, hear now the prayers of your people, which come through the completed and perfect work of Jesus Christ.